If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, the sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy here, Pierre Maguire on the road. So uh, you're stuck with my ugly mug and unfortunately not his handsome face. Uh, but here we are in the Eye Test. Pierre, how you doing? Doing fantastic, Jimmy. Great to talk to you. And uh, thanks to our great friends out in Vegas for uh, making this all work out. So we can provide uh, another fun episode of the eye test, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, for sure. And Pierre, look, uh, we've got a great guest lined up. So I want to tell the viewers something right now. Uh, Gordon Miller of TSN will be joining us, uh, your longtime colleague, Pierre, and really excited about that. But he won't be able to join us until 430. So what we're going to do right now is open up the questions like we usually do at the end of the show. We're going to take care of that now. So for all of you out there who've got any questions, throw them up there now. Ask away. Pierre and I will start talking, and, uh, and we'll start to address them. Pierre, I want to get right into it because I'm about to go see uh, a battle of the Titans here in, uh, in Boston. The Vancouver Canucks, the best team in the West, against the Boston Bruins, the best team in the East. Pierre, it was, uh, it was a good buzz amongst both teams at the game day skate. Had a good chance to catch up with uh, Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, who said hello to you, as I just told you off air. Um, but you know, interestingly enough here, before he spoke, Jim Montgomery addressed us and he kind of went out of his way to really praise Rick Tockett there. And, you know, Pierre, I think we've kind of been, um, adamant about the job we think he's doing and how, you know, maybe some people kind of underestimated him when he was hired in Vancouver. And, uh, Montgomery said no, because he is so well-respected amongst the coaching fraternity. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, Pierre. No, not surprising at all, but some people will never apologize for some of the shenanigans that they were writing and pontificating about when Rick was named coach. Uh, I found it to be a sad day uh, for some members of the media uh, when they were questioning why Vancouver would ever hire somebody like Rick Tockett. And I remember right from the start of this show, we talked about not only how wonderful uh, a coach Rick Tockett is. I had the privilege of coaching him. Uh, What a magnificent player and what a coachable player. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing to me is Rick's hirings, bringing in Sergey Gonchar, keeping Mike Yo on the staff, uh, obviously bringing in Adam Foote uh, and keeping Ian Clark, the goalie coach. So you see how Thatcher Demko is playing the goalie. So Mm -hmm. he didn't want to mess with him. So he keeps Ian Clark. He, he knows Mike Yo from his time in Pittsburgh, so he trusts him, keeps him on board, and, and respects him as a coach. And then, obviously, he worked with Gonchar, and, and he'd known Adam Foote forever. And, you know, again, just smart moving by the coach. 
and uh, sure. by the management team. So I'm so proud of Rick and so happy for him. And I'm glad you had a chance to speak with him today. Yeah, and it was interesting too. And I asked him, I said, you know, you get hired, obviously you've got goals. And the ultimate goal, obviously, is to win the Stanley Cup. But you've got certain goals, like any coach has when he takes over a new team. And I said, you know, in terms of the process, where is that now uh, versus maybe where you targeted it to be? I I would imagine it's it's sort of a bit ahead of schedule. Um, I, I think the, we, we thought the Canucks would be good, maybe just not this good. Um, but he said, look, it's it's not anywhere specific. It's just evolving. So in other words, it's open-ended and we're going to just keep progressing. We're going to keep improving um, until we w- reach that ultimate goal. Um, but it, it was interesting to see the lineups too. He's got, he's got uh, the new guy, Elias Lindholm, who they acquired from the Flames last week. He is playing on the right wing pier next to Pedersen uh, at center there. Um, so they're moving him around. He doesn't necessarily have to be in the middle because they've got so much depth and they've got so many pieces that they can shuffle around. Uh, it's a pretty scary looking offense right now for Vancouver. Well, that's really their bread and butter right now. And then you look at, obviously, Philip Ronick and Quinn Hughes in the back end forming an amazing number one tandem for them. Uh, and we talk all the time about the 1A, 1B goaltending situation with Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith. Um, Rick understands what it takes to win. Rick has won. Uh, what I really liked about Rick, he put it out there when Edmonton had a chance to be you know, tie the Pittsburgh record of 17 straight wins. And Rick knows they're a big rival. Rick says, you know what? No, I don't want him to break the record. I want him. <laughs> I want to keep the record. Exactly. That, that's the kind, that's the kind of man Rick is in terms of intensity. And I know I've talked to you about this, Jimmy. I'm not sure if I talked to you about it on the air or off the air, but when we got him in a trade from Philadelphia, when I was coaching in Pittsburgh, Scotty Bowman said, pick them up at the airport, Shell Samuelson and Rick Tockett and take them out for breakfast and tell them exactly what we expect from them in practice and how we run things. And I did that. And Rick was just amazing. I'm just telling you, he was amazing in terms of his attention to detail, all the little things he wanted to accomplish uh, with the team, how it was different being a Philadelphia flyer coming to the hated opponent, obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he just did so well handling everything and and what i remember the most and you'll love this jimmy he has so many questions at that breakfast i'm not even sure if he ate because he just kept asking questions about okay what do we do with in zone coverage what are we doing the penalty kill and i said rick i'm not sure you're even going to be on the penalty kill but if you are this is what we do and you know i think he might have been asking it more for shell samuelson than for himself if that makes sense so you know it was pretty fun uh, but it's one of those great memories I have of having had the opportunity and the honor really to work uh, with Rick and, and with the great teams we had in Pittsburgh in the early 90s. Well, quick question for you, and then we're going to go right to the questions here in the chat room. But I just want to ask you too, Pierre, thinking back to his days in Tampa Bay, because that's when I actually first met him on a personal basis. Uh, Kevin Stevens, him and I, and I believe it was Recky too, at the time we went out for a couple of drinks after a game. And you know, it's really cool just talking to him and learning and picking his brain. But he was so – you could tell he was so raw in the coaching aspect, but you could also tell at the same time like he had it in him. It didn't go that well. But I'm just – you know, if you can think back to then, but uh, I imagine that you still thought he was going to bounce back from that, eh? Oh, 100%. 100%. One of the 
really fun dinners that I had. Um, and Gordon Miller was at the dinner, actually. He's oh, wow. going to be our guest at 4.30. Um, when Wayne Gretzky was coaching Arizona, Michael Barnett, Wayne, Rick Tockett, and Barry Smith came to the house in Montreal when we were living there and the children were really young. Uh, they came over for supper. And we had a great dinner and lot, obviously tons of hockey talk. But the only person that wasn't talking at that dinner was Rick. Mm-hmm. And he was listening and he was deciphering and grabbing intel and information and stories. And then it wasn't long after, obviously, he goes to Pittsburgh and he's the assistant coach there and just does such a good job working with Mike Sullivan. And, you know, obviously they win two Stanley Cups and things are going fantastically well for him. And then he gets the head job in Arizona. And I remember doing some games that he was coaching with Arizona, both in Arizona, on the road, and then eventually in Edmonton. And, and you know, he was bringing up stuff from that dinner. He yeah. was talking about things that he had heard. And and then the best part about Rick, I think, this is just my own opinion. I don't know if other people have shared this with you, Jimmy, is that he loves to ask questions and he's not afraid to implement other people's ideology. No, for sure. For sure. That's why. And that's what I noticed right away, too, when I met him, was just talking hockey with him and him, him asking me questions about the Bruins. I'm like, you know, it was pretty it felt pretty cool to have a, a head coach ask me that. But anyhow, let's get over to these questions right now in yep. the chat room, Pierre. Uh, what do we got up here first, guys? All right. Randy Workman. Jimmy, ask Pierre, does Mike Vernon fall in the same class as yesterday's goalies that you guys were discussing? I don't know if you remember, Pierre. Oh, we're yeah. talking about the consistent elite goalie. So does Mike Vernon fall into that category? For sure, because the Hall of Famer, number one, mm-hmm. and number two, Mike knew how to win. You know, Mike wasn't always the prettiest goalie, but Mike got it done. It's a little like Dominic Hasek, obviously not as good as Dom, but very, very similar in terms of being a battler and never quitting on a puck. Uh, Mike was so intense. You know, I, I just, again, remember – coaching teams and going into the saddle dome and Mike was the goalie of record out there in Calgary. And he was just so darn competitive. And then you saw obviously with the vintage Detroit, Colorado games and the way he would go after Patrick. So, I mean, you know, there, there are some, to me, Mike, Mike was one of the great battlers of all time. And and I think merits all kinds of respect for the way he competed. Well, he was just what that Detroit team needed at that time when they finally broke the curse and won the cup in 97. He was just such a huge factor in that team. All right, let's go to the next question. Marvin Matthews. Ooh, this was rough. I don't know if you've seen it, Pierre, but thought on the Sergachev injury yeah. and how it will affect Tampa Bay's thinking come trade deadline. Look, first off, uh, you know, I don't know if he's watching or not, but if anyone is that's connected to him, please give it his best wishes from Pierre and I. Uh, that was just, that was Joe Theismann like Pierre. It was really tough to watch. It was very difficult. Uh, I'm probably emotional about it right now just because of how, what I think of the player. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sent to me last night and, um, you know, I just the injury part, obviously in, in a clip, I, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I felt so bad for him i felt terrible obviously for tampa bay lightning and their fans um and it's just unfortunate and hopefully you know he gets over this sooner rather than later and it doesn't leave a scar in his career no pun intended yeah Um, yeah. but you know you never want it even you know what i'll just say this i know fans like to 
hockey's one of those sports where it's really territorial, Jimmy. Yes. And if you love the Bruins, you can't like Montreal. And if you love the Canadians, you can't like the Leafs. You know what I mean? It's just territorial yeah. that way. And I know fans choose to either love Tampa or dislike Tampa. But you don't have to be malicious and nasty towards no. a guy that might have his career in the balance. No. And I, I hope everybody's rallying around the kid and, and just open for a really positive ending for him with this. Yeah, well, look, I mean, and he posted a really, you know, hard to read uh, post on Instagram, just, you know, in disbelief of what just happened to him. Um, and then also here, I, I want to say, too, I felt I felt for Lafreniere as well. I mean, because he doesn't mean for that. No, to he's not trying to do that. No, yeah. no chance. No and, chance. And they showed him over by the bench. You know, they went over to him. Panda. I mean, he was almost in tears. Just that concerned about Sergachev. As well, the, the whole Rangers bench was there. They got out on the ice along with the Tampa players. Real classy move by the Rangers there. And everybody in that building was really classy, uh, you know, giving him an applause as they took him off on the stretchers. So, but back to the question there, Pierre. What does that do for them at the trade deadline? Does that push them more in the seller category than the buyer now? Is that or they you think they still try to replace them? No, I think they try to replace them. The one thing I know about Tampa, they're like the lottery. They they're in it to win it. Yeah. Um, and so no, they're I they're I think they buy. Um they do have some obviously talented players down in the American Hockey League. They don't have a ton of picks. Only because they've been using picks to get players, yep, um, and stay relevant. And obviously, they have stayed relevant outside of their first round defeat last year to the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you look at it, you know they had three straight trips to the final. It's just an amazing story that Julian Breezebois and his team down in Tampa have written, and they deserve a lot of respect. And Steve Eiserman deserves a lot of respect too. He's now obviously the GM in mm -hmm. Detroit, but he really brought the organizational standards up in Tampa. And, one other thing, Mr. Vinnick to me is one of the best owners, not oh, just yeah. in the NHL. And Jimmy, you, you and I have talked about this in all of professional sport. Yeah. Mr. Vinnick's an amazing owner and an awesome human being. Yep. Um, and I've dealt with him on a couple different situations over time. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I have so much respect for him. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know that they're all about winning. So they're not in a sell mode. They're in a buy mode. I believe that. I truly believe that. All right. Let's go over to another question here. Big Bill asks, Habs question, do you guys think Brendan Gallagher will be bought out at some point, considering he's a rapidly declining asset and does not fit the Habs' future? Look, well, before you yeah. get to that, I just want to say, too, whether we think he should or not, I just want to say to, to Brendan Gallagher, uh, you know, I've got the utmost respect for him as a player and the way he plays the game and what he's done for that franchise. And I don't think, you know, I know it's tough now. I know he's, he's kind of hit – hit the bottom a bit here, but still this guy was character. He was grit and he gave it all every game he could for the Canadians, whether he was scoring or not, he was always giving his best effort. So I just wanted to say that. Well, that's really well said, first of all, and I completely agree with everything that you said. And sometimes undersized players that have had to overachieve, and that's exactly what Brendan's had to do. The odometer can only click so many times in a positive direction, and then it just stops. And mm -hmm. I think we're getting close to that with Brendan right now. It doesn't mean he can't be a valuable asset to a team that thinks they have a playoff run in them um, because he just hasn't played that many playoff games over the course of his career. And I think he'd be one of those guys, if you got him, 
you know, on short-term money. You just, obviously you can't because of the length of the contract, but maybe the Canadians can find a way to, to buy some of that or eat some of that money because you can trade money too. Uh, and maybe he gets traded. I don't know. But what I do know is I think eventually because of cap situation, the good news for Canes is obviously the cap goes up, you know, what, three or four million. But, you know, I think long term, um, especially with all those good young defensemen they have coming in Montreal, I, I'd be surprised if at some point he's not a buyout candidate. I'd yeah, be very surprised. I could see, you see coaching in his future at all, Pierre? Depends on whether he wants to do it or not. One of the, and this is something that I don't think has been addressed by a lot of people, uh-huh. but it, it needs to be. And I say this out of respect to all the players that have done so well financially. Afterlife hockey is hard for a lot of guys, especially mm-hmm. going back in the game. Cause being a scout isn't exactly a glamorous role and mm-hmm. there are only 32 GM jobs and not everybody can get, you know, an assistant GM's job or a, vice president's job or a president's job they're hard jobs to get and so most guys on entry level when they're retired they got to go into scouting and you know if you've got 15 to 20 million dollars in the bank and life's really good and you're a family guy being a scout's hard yeah and and that's why i always had time for you jimmy because you have you have so much respect for the scouts um you know i I talk to scouts every day and i just really enjoy their company and I respect them a ton. So that's, I think it's a problem for the league long-term, not enough former players want to get into that line of work. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think a lot of mistakes get made because I think those guys are valuable, valuable components to the lifeblood of any NHL team. Yeah. I, I mean, myself, I could see him being in like player development or something, just helping out with the young yep. kids uh, you know, coming to those development camps over the summer, he would be good yeah. at that. But, all right, let's go to the next question. We got one. Here we go. Randy Workman. My second question is who is the best Bruins prospects right now? Matthew, or who is the best Bruins prospect? Matthew Potra or Fabian Lysel? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> you know, we talk. I, I don't know if we talked about this on the air or off there. We talked yeah. so much about players, but I told you yesterday about Fabian Lizell. Um, He's a tremendous talent. Mm-hmm. He's an unbelievable offensive talent. Uh, and he clearly has woken up uh, from his early season doldrums in, in Providence. Yeah, he answered um, the bell. But I do think, um, you know, long term, Poitras is probably a better pure prospect because he can do so many things. Mm-hmm. Not just offense; he can play defense as well. I don't know if Lizell has that in his DNA, but yeah. they're both they're both excellent prospects. They are for sure, and I can just tell you now, from what I'm hearing, is that Patra was asked about a lot in trade talks recently, which doesn't surprise us, Pierre. Um, and the Bruins just said no, not right now. No, 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 no. So, so this is a bit again. I, I'm not trying to be rude to people, but. You have to understand when Krejci retires and Bergeron retires, I don't think people appreciate. I know about Bergeron; they did. I'm not sure they appreciate how good Krejci was. I totally agree. I, I, I just don't think people understand how good this guy was for so long. It's and, just he's the quiet assassin. That's what his yeah, team. I, he he's <laughs> one of those guys. Patty could keep everybody honest and he was an amazing leader and he was great right. defensively and he was awesome on faceoffs and 
he really, I think, helped invent the bumper position. I mean, he mm -hmm. just he was that good at it. But if you David Krejci, I mean, man, that guy was really good, and nobody ever really, you know, it's kind of like a forgotten guy. Okay, it's David Krejci. No, David Krejci's really good. You yeah. know, I don't think he ever got enough credit. I really don't. Well, it's interesting, Pierre. When we when we were doing the um, Centennial team, I, I was part of the panel that selected them, and then, you know, so we had. Four line, four forward lines, three D pairings, and two goalies. And he was one of the big debates. You know, does he go in? I, I said yes. I'll come right out and say it. I said, yeah, he's got to be in there because for everything you just said there, I mean, he was one of the most underrated Bruins of my time, if not all time, in my opinion. Like you just said, Pierre, and he, he just when the playoffs hit, he's like Reggie Jackson. You know, he was just Mister Playoffs for hockey. Uh, well, do you remember the broken wrist in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean they don't that that I don't, again. That everybody talks about the comeback, but they don't talk about how the comeback happened. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I mean, I was there. I was doing the game, and I believe yeah. I was doing the game with Gord Miller, and uh, you know, Krejci's wrist gets broken, and then it's Sayonara, see you later. Yeah, you yeah. know, they they lost the series. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I hear you, Pierre. And I'll quick, quick. You know what? Quick story because we got to talk about that. It's one. It's so that night that happens, right, Pierre, um, Joe Haggerty and I are covering a game and then uh, we write our stories. We go out for we go for a couple drinks after and we're sitting there and I get a text from one of the, the Bruins players at the time. I'm not going to say his name, yeah. um, but he says, hey, we're effed. And I go, why? And he goes, great, she's done. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, done. You can run with it. Didn't come from me. He's done. For the playoffs, out. So I call my editor right away, and I'm ready to race back to my hotel room to write the story. And my editor goes, "Well, you know, who did that come from?" And I go, "Very, very high up team source. Trust me, it's 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 legit." He goes, "Well, I I I'm, I don't think we're gonna run with that." Oh, and man. yeah, yeah. And so of course somebody else gets the story, as it always works. And so they get the story, and in the morning, I get a call from him. He goes, hey, "Why didn't we have this story first?" <laughs> 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 I almost well, fell off my chair. I said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> well, it's like, it's like the revisionist history on. Oh, oh yeah, I always had that coach's back. Hey, yeah, he actually yeah. said he shouldn't have been hired. Exactly. You know? Or, or the there are a couple other good ones too about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think some recent news actually. Yes. About different players and situations yep. they might be in. Yep. It would sure. behoove it would behoove people to be humble. Yes. It's better to be humble and kind than pompous and rude. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's go to this next question. Jeffrey B., with Potra going down with season-ending sh shoulder surgery, do the Bruins look internally to fill the void or make a hockey trade? Well, Pierre and I were talking about this off-air uh, just yesterday. Pierre, I'll let you take this. Um, I, I would say they look externally. I, I think they want to bring in a depth guy, and I think we mentioned one, and Nick Dowd yesterday would be a good candidate. Yeah. Um, but I think we're in agreement. They're going to look externally. Oh yeah. No, I think they look externally. Um, they're, they're a lot like Tampa. They're in it to win it. Last year was a crushing blow to the entire management team. And I believe ownership as well when they got eliminated by Florida. And I think they don't want a repeat of that. And so guard against the repeat of that, you got to go outside the marketplace and, and go look at other organizations and, try to find somebody that can obviously help you get over the hump. But I think 
they can't replace that player internally because I don't think they have that nope. presence defensively. The other prospects I'm talking about in there, maybe Johnny Beecher in a pinch, maybe, maybe, mm. but I, I just don't know. There's a reason why Johnny Beecher's not up with Boston right now. Exactly, exactly. And, I, you know, I think they just want experience. They're going to go out and get an experience. And it's not going to be – some superstar. It's going to be, you know, a guy like you mentioned, like I said, Nick Dowd or somebody of that ilk um, that can get a specific job done for them. And that's win some crucial face-offs in the D zone and also just play good, solid two-way hockey. All right. Next question. Shane Oliver. Ah, Bahaki. Who's winning the Super Bowl and what's on the menu Sunday? <laughs> I'm making homemade wings, chili and ribs. Oh, Shane, uh, I'll be right over. <laughs> uh, who are you picking though uh you know pierre i'm very this is what kind of a toss-up one of these where I, i'm really still unsure um i'm leaning chiefs but i wouldn't be surprised if it's the 49ers uh but i just i just think you know mahomes and and, and kelsey right now are really clicking and the one thing Pierre, too and we see it in hockey as well right is when teams start to peak at the right time and Maybe they were kind of going up and down all year, and that was the Chiefs. And and they they did peak right as the end of the year approached and into the playoffs. And they're just, I think, out of all the teams right now, they're they're at the right level. Um, I, I think San Francisco has been good for so long throughout this season. That I'm not complacent's not the word, but I guess uh, they just they're just playing the same. Like I don't, there wasn't sort of that steady rise into the playoffs. It was more like, okay, this is who we are, and that's what we're going to do. So, I like KC by a slight margin. You know what's interesting? I'm listening to you pass out that intel. I thought it was strong, Jimmy. Here's some other thoughts. You know, Kansas City had to go on the road and win in Buffalo in a terrible weather day. They yep. found a way to do it. They had to go down to Baltimore and play against a real good Baltimore team. Um, and they found a way to do it. Yep. And they did it comfortably, I think. They did it really comfortably. Defense. They did it with so, defense. Yeah, too. but they, yeah. Did it com- they did it comfortably. So I'm looking at that going, okay, so these guys have kind of passed the playoff test this year. And then you look at San Francisco. They probably should have lost to Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And they definitely should have lost to Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. So – I don't know if they're trending the right way. So for all of that stuff, I'm going to go with Kansas City as well. Uh, but I do think it's going to be a tighter game. The biggest thing to me, for if San Francisco were to win, I think Brock Purdy has just an amazing – out Mahomes, Mahomes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that, he's going to have to do that. I, I, I don't see any other way San Francisco can win. All right, let me let me ask you this then. What do you have a specific go to for your Super Bowl menu every year, Pierre, or what? So I, I have a francophone wife who's really good in the kitchen, mm. and I mean cooking, Jimmy. Don't get the wrong idea. And uh, I'm going to say that I leave it to her to design the menu. We usually, all the years, we used to have these Super Bowl parties with the teams that I would broadcast games with mm-hmm. if we were in that town. So like for a lot of years, we had people over when we were living in Montreal um when we were living in connecticut it wasn't as easy just because we were so far away from major cities but one of the things she did last year and i never had them before jimmy she made turkey wings with hot sauce and i'm just telling you i had never had a turkey wing in my life never had one yeah they were off the charts 
Oh, that's like, awesome. Really good. Nice. So I don't know what she's planning on surprising me with this year, but she's always good for a really good surprise. That's when, I, you know, she just, she's amazing. And she takes a lot of pride in it. So I, I respect that too, which is great. Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys and for our viewers out there too. So my, my girlfriend comes from a Hungarian family. Parents are straight off, off the boat from Hungary. So I, we're going up there. We're going to be at my girlfriend's in New Hampshire. They're coming over along with her, her uh, in-laws and stuff. And uh, so I'm guessing it's going to have a Hungarian flavor to the menu. Little but goulash, I, little goulash, maybe. Goulash is definitely on there. I, I requested it from uh, from Elizabeth, her mom, and I'm really excited. She makes really good goulash. But one thing I'm going to keep going is something my mother passed down to me, and you guys should try it. So it, it's a wings, right? But she gets these really big, fatty wings. There's a supermarket out there. Well, you've probably heard of it, Market Basket Pier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they, they're the only ones that I know that have these really, like, lot, tons of meat on them. Not the typical little ones, you know, big ones. And what she does is she she wraps them in bacon, and then she honey glazes them, and then bakes them. And Pierre, not a bad thought, Jimmy. Yeah. When I put that down when the show's over and remind uh, there you go, Miss Melanie, that uh, there's still <laughs> possibility with bacon wings and yeah, honey glaze, yeah, and little honey glaze. Yeah, that's good. Delicious. Like I'm getting hungry. All right, let's go <laughs> to the next question. <laughs> what do we got here? All right, Marvin Matthews. I am really impressed by how well St. Louis has played since their coaching change. We don't yeah. talk a lot about them. We should. No, Drew's done a good job. Bannister's done a real nice. Are job they for there. real or smoke and mirrors? Wants Marvin wants to know up here. I don't know. If, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but the one thing is they're relevant right now, and that's mm -hmm. really important. I think it speeds up the rebuilding. They're kind of retooling, not rebuilding. Um, it's great to see Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo kind of take things over offensively. I know Braden Shen had a tough start to the year, but he's starting to get going. I've always been a big Pareko fan. I have to tell you that, Jimmy. Even I'll never forget uh, our great crew at NBC with Eddie Olchuk and Doc Emmerich and myself. We were doing uh, we were doing a St. Louis Minnesota playoff series, and it was early in Pareko's career. And I saw him with books in the lobby, and I'm not talking about like fiction books or nonfiction books. I'm talking about like calculus books. So I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm actually taking an exam. I want to graduate. Wow. That's and, awesome. And it was in the middle of the playoffs. And we were at the old St. Paul Hotel in downtown St. Paul. That's and amazing. he was just sitting in the lobby doing, you know, like calculus exa uh, exam. I'm not kidding you. Wow. So I, I always, whenever I see him, I always think of that. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the person, a huge fan of the player. But I, I like kind of the direction. Drew's got him playing hard. And I, I have a lot of respect for that. So good for him. And. Great for Doug Armstrong in their organization. It's great for the fans. St. Louis fans are like Buffalo fans, Jimmy, and they're like Edmonton fans. Yep. There are a lot of people that pay their own money to go to the games, if you know what I mean. Yep, yep. So sure I, I really respect those folks a ton. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Pierre, too, uh, as far as the coach goes there, um, we've got Gordon Miller. We're going to bring him in there. But quickly, I, I got – so I got to cover some of that uh, Calder Cup run when uh, Springfield played Chicago. Yep. Uh, in 2022 and they lost him, but I got to know him a bit and just, you know, really enjoyed talking hockey with him. Even when the mic was off, just, he loved to shoot the breeze and talk hockey, great hockey mind. So I'm happy to see him get his shot in the NHL, but all right, let's go to our guest right now. We've got Gord Miller, longtime T TSN play-by-play -play man and analyst joining us now. Gord, how you doing? I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How was the dentist? 
fine. <laughs> All right, good. That's rare that people say that. So that's, yeah. that's a good thing. It, it, it went without incident. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, Pierre's here. Unfortunately, you can't see his handsome face, but you've seen it enough over the years. So yeah, I'm good. You'll be okay. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Gordon Miller. Yes, Gordon. Um, Gordon, you know, I want to ask you one question off the hop, and it's really an important one. I'm not messing around here. There's so many great young players that have come into the league. Amazingly great young players. Mm -hmm. Where's Macklin Celebrini going to end up? Uh, I, I can tell you this, you know, based on what we saw at the World Junior Championship, he was not just the best draft eligible player there. He was one of, if not the best player there. And, you know, it, you know, Pierre, you did the tournament for a long time. It, um, it is very rare for a draft eligible player to make an impact in that tournament. It's very rare for 17 year olds, even for 18 year olds to make an impact in the tournament. He was, you know, in the shadow of Connor Bedard, who just went supernova last year. Yeah. Celebrini was just outstanding. He, he ticks all the boxes as a natural center. So he's a player that I would say that when you draft him, you're not getting one good player. You're going to get three because whoever plays with him, is going to be really productive as well. And and that's the second element to it. And I think the other thing about him is, you know, a, a guy who whose dad, for those who don't know, his dad, Rick Celebrini, is the director of sports medicine and player performance for the Golden State Warriors. Um, so a young man who grew up around, you know, a really elite professional sports program and, and elite professional athletes. And so understands the approach the, the the discipline, the training that's required at that level. And he he ticks all those boxes. So I, I think he's, first of all, he's the runaway number one this year. And uh, and I think he's going to be a really special player in the NHL. And that's, you know, I mean, you hate to put that mantle on someone that young, but I mean, based on what he's done at every level, like at, at, at every level, he's been so productive. And, and I, and I get that it's hard at the next level, but he has all the all the earmarks. Jimmy, just before you jump in, I just want to backcourt up on this. You know what I think of Celebrini. Yeah. Gordon and I never rehearsed this, but I, I can just tell you, Gordon has seen a 16-year-old Sidney Crosby. He's seen everything with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff and Brent, uh, all these different players that played for Brent Sutter in, in Grand Forks, North Dakota. He saw Jonathan Taves as a 17-year-old. He saw Alexander Ovechkin. He saw Evgeny Malkin. He's seen all these great players over time, Jimmy. And when Gord said that, the first name I thought of, even Patrick Kane, I remember Kane in, in Lexan, Sweden, Gord, yeah. how great he was. The year McDa he McDavid, in 20, McDavid yeah, in 2015. McDavid and, and yeah. all these guys. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, Jimmy, and, and I don't know what Gord thinks of this, but I haven't seen a player at that age look like Jonathan Taves since yeah. Jonathan Taves. And I think Celebrini is going to be the second coming of Jonathan Taze, except he's faster. He's yeah, a faster he's, player. He's a little bit of a better skater. Um, he, he may be more of a natural goal scorer than, than Jonathan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of the physical build, uh, the, the, the personality, the approach, um, you're getting a guy who, who plays hard in all three zones, who can play against the other team's best players, um, you know, Team Canada had no hesitation from the outset putting him in against other teams' best players. And there were lots of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just, uh, 
you know, it's funny because you, you know, I, I'm really hesitant to put a lot of pressure on young players. I really am. I, because it, it's really hard to play in the NHL as a teenager and most teenagers shouldn't play in the NHL. And that's been a, a drum I've been banging on for years that, that, you know, it takes time for young players to develop. And also, you know, a few years ago, a team did a study and found that teenagers get hurt at a much higher rate in the NHL than, than players over 20. But, you know, you've got, you know, you had him, you had Bedard last year, you've got him this year, Michael Misa, who's currently playing in the Ontario league this year, looks like a really special young player. You know, it's, it's incredible how, how many of them come down the pipeline. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's really exciting stuff for, for him. And I, and I wonder, you know, like Owen power went back for another year at Michigan after he was picked first overall by Buffalo. And I, you know, the Celebrinis are cerebral people. The mom and dad are, are very grounded people. I wonder if Celebrini would go back. He's playing with his brother at BU. I, I wonder if he would look at, at going back for another year. I, I don't know that that's the case for sure, but um, I know this, that the Celebrinis won't be in a rush and they'll do what they think is best for their son. And, and I think that Macklin's the same way, but he he's really good. Yeah, one of the things that would be cool if he did go back to BU, they're getting Cole Eiserman, who yeah. I don't know how he fell out of favor, Gord, with USA Hockey for whatever reason, wasn't part of this USA team. I know they won the gold medal, so you can't fault their selection process. All that being said, I think if he decided to go back, I think Cole Eiserman would be one of the reasons why, because he would get pushed in practice by a player that's probably going to go in the top five of this summer's draft. Yeah, Eiserman, I think, was just a a case of, you know, they had a group that they really liked together. Um, He was a a, a draft eligible. They had a couple of, of... 2006 is on the team already. Yeah. I don't think it was a knock on him. I just don't think they, they thought he was ready for that. And, you know, don't forget that U.S. team that won the gold medal uh, at the World Junior in Sweden this year has nine players young enough to come back next year. So yeah. so they were already a young team. Um, and, I, and I think that was – so I don't know if it's as much a reflection on Iserman as it was on just kind of the age of the group they had already. But, um, yeah, I think that – Look, it, it's it's not development's not linear and it's not a race. And you know, I have made this case, and you know, Pierre, you do Montreal radio, and I made the case on there yep. a few years ago that you know, yes, Barry Cuck and Yemi should not have been in the NHL as an eighteen-year-old, hundred percent. And I thought Slavkovsky should have gone back to Europe last year. Um, but you know, teams get excited about players and they want them to, they want to push them. But um, my, now I didn't see a lot of it. I watched a little bit of it, but it looked to me like Celebrini did very well in the bean pot. Oh, yeah. He did. He did. Up, he up was against, a major difference maker, Gord. Major, yeah. major difference. So, I mean, head to head with older players, um, with top draft picks. I mean, Will Smith, right? Uh, who's- Cutter Goche, Will Smith, Gabe, Gabe Perot, uh, yeah. Ryan Leonard. I mean, it's a murderous <laughs> row on Boston College. You know, it's a murderous yeah. row. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's really interesting to see how these guys are sort of tracking now. And um, but I'm excited about the, you know I'm excited about the future of you. You always sit there and say you know how do, how do these guys keep coming out and you know especially in Canada where there's always so much hand wringing. I mean, people like you have if, if the best player in the NHL isn't Connor McDavid, it's Nathan McKinnon. The the best defenseman in the league is is Kale McCarr. You know, like you've got Connor Bedard coming, Celebrini, Misa, like 
settle down, people. I, I, I think the one question from a Canadian perspective would be about goaltending. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I was just going to go to that. Hundred percent. He's spot it's, on. Good segue. So, Gord, just your take too on what has happened uh, to goaltending in Canada over the last five years or so. I don't know the answer to that. I, I think that. Um, you know, there are some, I guess there are some structural things that other countries do that Canada doesn't that might be worth a look. One of them is that uh, as a national goaltending coach or national goaltending coaches. So in Europe, especially, and to a lesser extent in the U.S. system, um, teams are more open to having a, a, an outside goaltending coach come and work with their players. In Canada, the junior programs are probably less inclined to do that. Okay. Now, now Canada has put in some national goaltending camps in the summer to try to develop it. But I think the other, the other point would be from a parental perspective, if you have a child to an age 13 or 14 is projecting to be five foot 10 or five foot 11, I, I think at the elite level, you, you might say maybe try a different position or something else because, yeah, I, you know, UC Saros, the last I saw, I think UC Saros is the only goalie in the NHL under five, under five, six feet tall. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they say he's five eleven. I'm saying no. Well, but and I mean, Gord, he's five ten. Yeah. So, so I so, agree I mean, with you. I couldn't so, agree with so, you more. So, so that might be part of it. You know, for example, guys, like if you've got a child who's a really good basketball player, mm-hmm. but he's going to be five ten. Well, if you're if you're looking at the elite track, that that's probably not leading to a place you want it to go. I don't know that's if that's entirely the answer. It's anecdotal, but I have had parents tell me that they've said to their kid like. You know, are you really going to chase this if you're going to be five nine or five ten? But right. but the, but the the question is, why is Canada falling behind? And you know, I mean, Aiden Hill is obviously very good. Um, might even get some Vesna Trophy votes this year if he hadn't missed some time. Um, but you know, if, if the Olympics were being held right now, who would Canada's goalies be? Well, probably Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Carter Hart's no longer in the equation. Um, uh, is Jordan Bennington part of the, you know, Mark andre Fleury is a third? I mean, is it's Stuart, not, Is Stuart Skinner in the Stuart discussion? Skinner, right, but but it's not like, you know, the United States goes probably five deep. Uh, Sweden, you know, probably goes four or five deep. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Russia goes however however many deep you want. Yep. So there, there's there's clearly a question mark there. And, and, I, and I wonder how much this is being addressed. It's certainly, I mean, the, the people at Hockey Canada are certainly aware of it. Um, the people that run junior hockey in Canada and lower level programs are certainly aware of it, but there may not be an easy answer to it. Yeah. No, I don't think there is. But Jimmy, just to build off Gord's point, mm-hmm. the Finns get it right. The oh, Finns yeah. have been doing this for a long time. They have one overseer who's the head coach for goaltending in the country. And then they have satellite coaches around the entire country. And it's one of the reasons that they've been able to survive so well. And Gord came up with this great moniker, and it's not a disrespectful thing. The, the Finns are the kings of the bronze medal game. And people forget when you play in the gold medal game and you get silver, you lose to get it. But when yeah. you play in the bronze medal game and you win it, you got to win it. And so forever, the Finns were really good at this, and they've been good at it for a long time. But one well, they're, 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 concerned, they're concerned now, though, Pierre. Sorry to interrupt, but they're concerned now. You know, like the Finns aren't turning out as many star young goalies as they'd no, like. No, they aren't. No, they aren't. But they had it right for a long time. And this is my point on this. Yeah. I think more countries need to look at that. And, and one of the reasons why the Finns did this, 
Jimmy, they didn't have enough guys that were able to produce offensively like Team Mussolini, mm-hmm. you know, or Yari Curry. So yeah. they said, how are we going to compete with all these other countries? We're going to be better than all of them in goal. And, and so it, it, it was a brilliant idea. And I think more countries need to look at something like that. And I, and I think more top American goalies are coming through the national team development programming. So they're, yes. they're, so they're getting that high-level coaching. And even before that, um, so yeah, I think, you know, the Finns are concerned about their program at the moment. You know, they've got some, they've got some worries as well. And, um, so it's an ongoing, it, you know, it's, it's an evolution, right? And, and I think the difference is certainly in, in Europe, the competition for top end athletes is, is really intense. You yep. know, it's, and it's, it's not just soccer in some countries it's, it's sports like handball, you know, which right. is immensely popular in Europe. Yep. So uh, I mean, it's an ongoing, evolving process. The Swedes have some real concern about the number of their young players who are coming and playing in the American Hockey League. They would like more of their guys to be left at home to develop and then come to the NHL. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there's a lot There's a lot that goes into all this, and it's not one sort of magic solution, but there's certainly concerning Canada on the goaltending front for sure. Let me ask you guys this, too. I just thought of this as we are talking about it. You know, we've noticed, and Pierre, we've discussed this numerous times here on the show, sort of the undervaluing of goaltenders at the NHL level with general managers. You know, like you, you see less teams putting more money, in, they, they put less money between the pipes and more money is spread it out across the team. Obviously, the salary cap has a lot to do with that. But I'm wondering, does that sort of undervaluing, so to speak, does that trickle down in, into the development system? Does, is there a connection there? So I'll I'll start this off with with uh, I, and I wonder if it's being undervalued. Oops, sorry, I lost my earphone there. Um, sorry, new AirPods. Um, I don't. I wonder if goaltending isn't being undervalued, or if in the past it's been overvalued. So let's let me walk you let me walk you through a little bit of a, a timeline here. Let's go back to 2010 and beyond, and let's look at the goalies that have won Stanley Cups. Anti Niemi in Chicago had never played in the playoffs before. Tim Thomas in Boston, they tried to give him away the year before, and no one would take him. Jonathan Quick in Los Angeles had never played in the playoffs before. Corey Crawford in Chicago hadn't played in the playoffs before. Then Quick again, then Crawford again. But Crawford lost the net, remember, in 2015. Didn't start that series. Or sorry, he got pulled in that series against Nashville. And and didn't start games three, four, and five. Um, Then you go to, you know, Pittsburgh with, you know, Matt Murray and Flurry and Zatkoff in back-to-back years. Then, then you get into, you know, uh, Braden Holtby in Washington. Didn't start the playoffs as the number one. Um, Jordan Bennington in St. Louis was in the minors in January. Then you go Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky, for sure, right? Star. But then you come back to um, Colorado, yep. right, with Darcy Kemper. Uh-huh. Vegas, Aiden Hill. Right, so so the, that's the goalies. Now let, let's do the defenseman over that time. Duncan Keith, Zdeno Chara, yeah, Drew Doughty, right, Chris Letang, who was injured at times. He was injured at times when Pittsburgh won, but then uh, John Carlson, mm-hmm. Alex Petrangelo, yep. Victor Hedman twice, mm-hmm. Kale McCarr, Petrangelo again. Like so, I I wonder if teams aren't looking at it more like we'll take our chances with average goaltending. Let's get a let's get a superstar defense. Yep. Let's have a so so I, I would say this, Jimmy. I would take I'll take my chances with an average goalie behind a superstar defense. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, and so so I wonder. So teams look at so so who are the highest paid goalies in the league right now? Well, you know, a lot of them haven't won yet. 
but yeah. but but star D, for the most part, either have won or on the precipice, or or have been on the precipice of winning. And so, I think that's a little bit of what's happened with goaltending is is the market's kind of finding a level, and the the defense market is becoming really, really highly priced. Yep. Like like the, the the D market, especially for right shot star D, is is really reaching the ceiling. But teams are looking at it and saying, the goalie only plays. 55 games, 60 games max. Mm-hmm. How much are we prepared to spend on that? And what's the difference between a star goalie and an average goalie? That might be this, right. whereas a star defenseman, an average defenseman, is probably more like this. Yeah, that's a long answer. Sorry, but that's I think that's a lot well, of the thinking. This question. Yep, good points. Speaking of defense, and one team that could use a star defenseman that you're familiar with, uh, Gord, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what's your take on this team right now? It, they're 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 not out of the woods yet in terms of the teams below them in the playoffs there. No, I mean, I think they'll make it. Um, I think they're good. I think they gusting to really good. Um, I don't know that they're great. And I don't know that you, you know, when you pay half your cap to four forwards, mm-hmm. it's very hard to build around that. So again, you know, you look at what Toronto gets, you know, for, for, for half their cap, they get Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. For half their cap, Tampa gets... Kucher, to Kucherov, Point, Sorelli, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm. It's a very different calculus when you get a defenseman and a goalie in the mix as opposed to four forwards. So, so just because no team's ever won with four forwards making up that much money doesn't mean it can't happen. But there's probably a reason it hasn't happened to this point. Yeah. Is it, they, they are so top-heavy in forwards that it affects their depth everywhere else. And so... It remains to be seen if you can win with that model. And next year, with the Nylander extension signed, they're going to have four of the top 11 cap hits in the league next year. And no other team will have more than one. Yeah. So that, that's a real question. of uh, is, Does that formula work? So the, you're trailing right now, right? And you're in the offseason. Let's just say they don't win it this year. Or they let's say they're one out, or maybe they go out in the second round. Do you look to potentially move one of those players, those cap hits, to to start to sprinkle it out into the defense and into the goaltending position? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that um, you know, I, I would say their chances in the East, which which looks pretty wide open, are 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 maybe as good as you know they're in the mix with anybody in there. I mean, there's yep. there's no one they would face in the first round where they'd be an overwhelming underdog. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, Austin Matthews is the best goal scorer in the game right now. I mean, he's it's, he's, he's, down. he's elite, the best goal scorer in the game. So, um, you, but how do you undo it? And and, that, and that's the you don't trade Matthews. Mm-hmm. You're you're a year away on Marner. He's a year away from unrestricted free agency. You've just signed you've, you've just signed Nylander to an extension. Tavares has a year to go. Um, you know and. There are a lot of people that think that signing Tavares was the original sin and that um, he's a great player and every team would love to have him. And I said this on the radio at the time that, that they didn't really need him and they couldn't afford him. And it's yeah. not that, I mean, he's a terrific player. He's, he's been everything that Toronto could ask for. Right. But they didn't really need him. It, mm-hmm. It's more of what they had. And so I would, I would say, I guess Marner becomes the guy you look at. Um, but, you know, you don't just – you know, you don't just go to Costco and, and, and get a star defenseman. Like you can't just, you know, 
you know, I'll take that six foot four <laughs> right shot, elite, you know, Norris Trophy candidate right there. They don't, get, <laughs> they don't get traded often for a reason, and and when they hit the free agent market, you're back into you know probably paying a, a premium to get them. So, right. and there aren't there aren't many of them out there. So I I, I don't know how quickly that would address their needs, mm. but but you know if there's if there's a criticism, I think of Toronto's management going back to the Kyle Dubas regime, it's that their goaltending wasn't addressed and their defense wasn't addressed. Yeah. Now, now the truth is, you know, Toronto last year lost in the second round of Florida, scoring two goals in each of the five games. Mm-hmm. If you score exactly two goals in an NHL game during the regular season, you lose sixty-five percent of the time. Yeah. So it wasn't the issue wasn't their their play defensively. The issue was they didn't score enough. Mm-hmm. But that uh, that I think is also a trickle down from having so much tied up in so few players. You just yeah. can't afford the depth that some of the other teams have. You can't have a Carter Verhage. Mm-hmm. You can't you know you can't have some of those guys that, that other teams have. Yep, I'm with you, Pierre. Are you still with us? I don't know if we lost him there. <laughs> I think we lost. I think we lost them. I, I thought I heard the car door slamming. I know, me too. <laughs> so, so what? Uh, what game are you on to next, Gord? I'm uh, next week. I've got a bit of extended All Star break for me. I've got um, I've got Toronto playing St. Louis um, and Philadelphia next week, and I've got uh, Ottawa in Chicago. Then I'm down to Florida for the Leafs at the Panthers, which will be interesting. Oh yeah, nice. And uh, I think I think it's the Leafs at the Panthers, and uh, I know I've got the Leafs in Vegas. Okay. And I, you know, when I, Jimmy, when I think of, we talk about defense. And I, I was last year, I had Vegas four times in two months. Uh-huh. And I went to their morning skate a couple of times. And you stand along the glass yep. and say, that defense is enormous. Oh, yeah. It's- like that, t- that team is enormous, but that defense is enormous. Yeah. And, and you just look at them and say, like, that to me is, is where the pendulum is swinging. Yes. Away from smaller defensemen and towards a big, mobile, puck-moving defense. Yeah, yeah. Pierre calls that, it forward force. That's his nickname for their defense. It, just, it's, it's unreal. It, it, is, it is just so it, – it just stands out so much yep. in, their, in their group of how – I mean, their forward group's big as well, except for, of course, the guy that won the Con Smythe last year, who's their smallest <laughs> player. But, but – the size of Vegas, and and I think if you go back further, even mm-hmm. like Colorado, McCarr's not small. No. Colorado a big defense with Jack and Eric Johnson. You know, they, yep. they, they had a big defense. Uh, Tampa had a big defense. St. Louis had a big defense. Washington, like the, the, there does seem to be a trend building among those yep. teams. Yep, and I'll tell you here, uh, the team I cover would love to have a bigger defense. Uh, that's been one of the things I think Don Sweeney's been looking for is is some more size people to clear out somebody in front of yeah. them. That's, that's kind of been, you go back to that St. Louis series in 2019, Gordon, it was like, that was the difference to me was that yeah. defense and versus the Bruins defense who couldn't get anybody out of, uh, out of, you know, Tuca's perimeter there. But, but one, but one to six Boston's defense, like is, is pretty elite. Yes. Like, you know, their yep. second, their second pair, is as good as anybody's second oh, yeah. pair. Like they're 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 still you know in that mix. But I, I hear what you're saying. Um, the Bruins are really interesting to me because 
you know, you keep just dis- well, like last year, oh, they got all those guys hurt. They have to, they have to, they'll have to, you know, get through the first couple of months to, to be okay. And of course, they they set, you know, the, yeah. they have the best start in franchise history. Set all the records <laughs> this year. You know, wow, they lose, they lose Bergeron, they lose Krejci, and and here they are again. Yeah, you know, part of it's goaltending, part of it's part of it's their depth. They have tremendous depth, and and yeah. and part of that goes to until Pasternak, they didn't have anyone making more than ten million, mm-hmm. right? So they had that kind of internal cap. And the guy can, and Jim Montgomery can really coach. Yeah, he can, he can, he can really coach. So, and the job he's doing this year, Gord, I don't know if you agree. I think he's doing a better job this year than last year because last Maybe. year, yeah, yeah, I mean that team was just going, you know. And he says that all the time. He's like, I just sat here and I was here if they needed me, and they just went, you know. And and that's not to take anything away from him, but this year with the adapting and and you you look at some of the injuries they've had to deal with along the way, he has done some of the best in game management that I've seen a coach do in a while. And I think that's become one of his best strong points. And I think also, you know, as a, as a coach of the year voter, I, I tend to lean away from guys in their first year on the job mm-hmm. because that's, that's the quote unquote easy year, right? Yep. You're fresh. Like we're seeing it now with these coaching changes, right? You're it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a fresh voice. It's new. It's, you know, everything's kind of different, but the hard part is, is coaching a good team for a long time. I think John Cooper in Tampa has done an incredible job coaching an elite team for as long as he has yep. and, and keeping the message message fresh. And, you know, Rick talk at the job this year. And I, and I think the big advantage talk it has was, was going in at the end of last year. Yes. And seeing what was there and, and kind of getting his message out to them. And so when they came to training camp, they knew it was expected, but you know, I, I think I agree with you. Like Montgomery's job this year, a is harder because you've been there. They've mm-hmm. heard you and, and B given all the change they've had to go through. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's done a tremendous job. Now, you know, I I've got to think that you know, coach of the year is 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 probably you know, it's it's talk it's to lose. Talk it's going to be in that mix if Philadelphia stays in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it, it is much harder as you go along yeah. to to keep people's attention. Sure, here we got you. Yes, you do have me. I hope you're hearing me. We hear you fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gordon, I have a question for you. I was listening and I couldn't get through for whatever reason. Um, we were talking about the, you were talking about it with Jimmy, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kyle Dubas is a guy that really set that organization up the way it's structured right now. There wasn't much Trey Living could do to adjust it at this point, but he did one thing. He signs Nylander. How do you think Kyle Dubas is going to handle what's going on with Jake Gensel and the potential for unrestricted free agency? Because if you do the deep dive and I know you do it every single day, you do the deep dive on Gensel and Nylander, points and numbers. Just do an analytic study. They're almost identical. Yeah, and you could argue that in terms of the underlying numbers, Gensel might have the edge in that department uh, yeah. as, as, as more of a play driver than Nylander. Um, I, I, my, my feeling on Pittsburgh is, is that as long as Sidney Crosby is there and playing like he is, you owe it to him and to a lesser extent Malcolm and, and Latang. Yeah. To, to do everything you can to win now. And, and I, I look, there'll be some pain down the line and, and people won't like it, but you have to try to win now. You know, you, you, these guys have done so much for you. Crosby in particular has done so much for you. S- sign Gensel, figure out the other stuff, um, you know, trade some picks if you have to, to bring some guys in. Um, but I, I look, it's, it's a it's a car heading for the cliff, yes. But you know, in Thelma and Louise fashion, hold hands and enjoy the ride till you go over. I guess because because you know, like 
I, I do think that there are certain times, and, and look, we've seen this happen where, 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 you know, too much loyalty has really set franchises back. Mm-hmm. But in that case, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think in Pittsburgh, go for it. Like yeah. put, put, put all your chips down and go for it because th- this guy Crosby deserves a chance for, for a team. I mean, he's playing what incredibly well. What like, a season, Gavin. Oh. Like, so, so give it, Give it your best with them now. Is it good? Is Pittsburgh good enough? Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. They they gust to good enough at times. Uh, could they catch lightning in a ball in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you take the top eight teams in the Eastern Conference right now, excluding Philadelphia. And even including Phil, I mean, any one of them could win the East, and you you would not be shocked at it. Uh-huh. Right? Like if 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 Boston, Tampa, Toronto, Florida, the Rangers, you know, won the Eastern Conference, you you would not be shocked by it, would you? No, no. I and, think Detroit, and, Detroit would be the team I'd be stunned. Maybe Detroit, yeah, you may be surprised maybe. by Detroit. Yeah, maybe Philadelphia. Yeah, but but overall, I mean. You know, it's it's that open. So with it like that, if there was a super team in the East that wasn't Pittsburgh, then you might say, okay, we're not we're not sacrificing assets to go after that. But there mm-hmm. isn't. So um I, I think Pierre, a long answer to your question. I, I I think you go all in, put your chips in the middle and and go for it. Let's see. And Are then you- and then you know what? And you know what? It's somebody else's problem six years from now. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, listen, Gord, we appreciate you taking the time. Pierre, you got another one or no? I think we lost him again. <laughs> I've, I've, lived, I've lived this movie before, Jimmy. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we appreciate uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Glad the dentist went well. That's always a good thing. And uh, we'll catch you down the line. All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. All right. Gord Miller of TSN. Join us here on the eye test on the sick podcast network. I don't know what happened to Pierre. He was traveling uh, back from South Carolina, so some reception issues, who knows. But we appreciate everyone checking in here. We appreciate your questions, your comments in the comments section. Thanks to our production crew in Vegas. I'm Jimmy Murphy for Pierre McGuire. This has been another edition of the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.